Welcome to Threshold Church. Today's message is from Pastor Jake Kale. Amen. So the last couple weeks, if you've been here, uh, the last couple weeks we've been doing a, it's kind of turning into a series, really, I didn't really plan it to be a series, but it's kind of becoming a series on, on our focus. I did a message two weeks ago called The Battle for Our Focus and how there is a fight for our time. There's a fight for our attention. There's a fight for our, our focus. Where are we putting all of our energy? Where are we putting our focus? We only have so much time in a day. And it's going to be spent in one way or another. And, and there's this pull on our hearts uh, of, of where we're looking. I talked about Mary and Martha and how they both, they both had the same opportunity. They both were in the same house. One was focused, zoned in on Jesus. And one, it said, was distracted even by a good thing in that case. She was distracted by, by much serving. And Jesus said, one thing is needed. Such a profound statement to say only one thing is needed because everything else comes from the place of relationship with God. And if we miss that part, we miss everything else. And so there's a battle for our focus and God is recalibrating us as his people to get into that place in a fresh way. And I encourage you as a, as a person, as an individual, as families uh, to, to discern with the Lord what that looks like for you, how to recalibrate your life and your focus. Last week I did a message called Focused on Eternity. And that's another area where we can focus. We can focus our time on things that are temporary or we can focus our time on things that are eternal. And, and Paul, the apostle, told us to, to focus on the things that are going to go into eternity. Focus on the things. Seek first the kingdom. And how when we have an eternal perspective, it changes, <coughs> excuse me, it changes how we live now. There are certain things that will not make sense until we get to eternity. There are certain things that won't make sense unless we live with an eternal perspective. But we can live that way now. We can live that way now. We have to we ask the Lord to grip you with that, to grip you with a, a revelation of eternity. And am I giving my time and my attention to the things that are going to matter then? Because this, there's... Only one thing between you and eternity, and that's this thing called time. And we don't know how long of time that is. So we're in this series here, kind of. It's kind of become a series. And I want to talk today about, it's called Let Us Adore Him. And it's going to tie into our focus in worship. What is our focus in worship? But let's start here with Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read 1 and 2 and then 9 through uh, 11. So Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. How many were there? Trick question. The song says three, but actually it doesn't say. We don't know. We don't know how many there were. We guessed that there was three because there was three different gifts. So that's a good guess, but the Bible doesn't actually say that. So it says, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. We have come to worship him. 
Now, there's a lot of mystery about these wise men, these magi, because it doesn't really give a lot of description about it. It says they were from the east. It says they were wise men or magi, which means that, and it describes them as, uh, you know, looking to the stars. Now, they, um, there's a difference between astrology and astronomy, but they were, they were looking at signs. They were looking at the stars, and um, they had some sort of an awareness of scriptures because they knew, you know, later on there's this conversation about, you know, where he was going to be born, and uh, King Herod talked to him, and, and they asked the, you know, the scribes and the people. And so um, there's some, some scholars that say that maybe these were uh, wise men that were from, you know, around Babylon that were kind of like almost following in the path of Daniel. You know, Daniel and his friends had been in Babylon and they had kind of, uh, in a sense, infiltrated that kingdom with, uh, with, 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 with the Lord's kingdom. <clears throat> we don't know. We don't know what type of tradition they were following, but we know that they had some sort of an awareness of God. We know that they had some sort of an awareness of a Messiah that was going to be born, and we know that they were looking for different signs, and they saw a sign in the heavens. And they, they went on a journey, and they had one goal. What, what did they say their goal was? We have come to worship him. That was their goal. That was their heart. And it goes on to say, I'm not going to read all, this, all, all the verses here. I'm going to zone in on a few of them. But it goes on to say that when, when King Herod heard this, it shook him up. And historically, we know that King Herod uh, was not the best king. And he actually was extremely paranoid. He had family members killed when he thought they were going to be trying to dethrone him. And then we see later what he, what he does to the children because, you know, he hears of this and, he, and, he, and he, he hears king of the Jews. And now he's threatened by an infant, right? You know, even though he's a king and even if it was born king of the Jews, this is a baby, right? And, and so, you know, he goes on and he, he fakes and says, oh, I want to worship him too, right? And hypocrisy, right? It's, it's a perfect example of just acting, of pretending to be good, of pretending, oh, show me, you know, once you find him, tell me where he's at. I want to go worship him too, right? And, but really his intent is to murder him. So we have these magi coming with the intent to worship him. Then we have this king, uh, this paranoid, crazy king that's intent to, to murder him. But what I want to, just want to focus in on is Verses 9 through 11 here, and especially verse 11. <clears throat> it says, When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it says that God warned them in a dream, and so they didn't go back to Herod. Now again, just like Jeremy was saying during the worship time, right? Christmas season comes and we hear the stories. And uh, by the way, another thing about this story is this was not in the manger. Okay, this actually wasn't in the manger because it says they went into a house. So we don't know how old Jesus was here because, 
you know, when King Herod had, had the, the boys killed, it was under two years old. So Jesus was probably between one and two in that time period. This is not the exact time of his birth, but it's roughly in his first, you know, couple years of life. And, and so we had these wise men on this journey, their intent to worship him. And what struck me about this story, you know, we sang joy to the world. Um, sorry, I just lost track here. I was saying when Jeremy said, it's so easy to read these stories at Christmas time and lose the significance of them. It's so easy just to gloss over them and think, oh, what a nice story. What a fun story. What a, you know, what a, what a nice tradition. What a nice Christmas time story to read, right? And lose the actual story and the revelation that's in it that God's trying to speak to us. There's revelation, obviously in all scripture. All scripture carries revelation and, and teaching and instruction for us. But sometimes stories become familiar to us. And so we lose it, uh, what, what God's trying to say to us. And even in this story, I mean, just think about this is a crazy story. I mean, there's a star that's traveling over and landing over a house. There's these three, or I just said three, who knows how many, we'll say there's three. There's these three, you know, wise men, magi, they're sacrificing time and energy and focus and attention to track down this baby king that they're just kind of, no one else knows of or is aware of. And they're there to worship. I mean, imagine worshiping a baby, like a kid, like a, a one-year-old. Like imagine getting there, imagine seeing a, a little one-year-old and then falling down before them. And I mean, it's just, isn't that a little bit strange? And then giving them these expensive gifts, giving them these things that are fit for a king. Now, here's what struck me, though. We sang joy to the world, right? The Lord it said, let earth receive her king. But we know that when Jesus was born, there was no room for him, right? He was born in a stable. He was born. There was nothing about Jesus' entrance into the world that was kingly. There was nothing about it. I mean, they, were, they had to go to a, a different place. They had to go to, for the census. They, they, there was no place for them to stay. There was no room for them. Uh, they, they were, they were kind of just basically looking for any, anywhere they could because the baby was about to be born. And they find a, a cave, a, a, a stable somewhere, and he's born and he's placed in a manger, a feeding trough, right? They were poor. They weren't rich. They weren't wealthy. There was nothing noble about his birth. There was nothing noble about his family. His family was not a rich royal family that you would think of a king. And so here's what struck me is that these Magi, these wise men, had some sort of prophetic insight, obviously, and they could see Jesus from the spiritual perspective even when he was a baby. It's almost as if they were receiving him as a king into the world. It was almost as if it was a prophetic act. That somebody had to recognize, somebody acknowledged him. Somebody saw, while the whole world didn't know, except for the select few people, Mary, Joseph, you know, the angels came to the shepherds and they, but, but for the vast majority of people, nobody knew. But there was the, a prophetic insight, a revelation to see Jesus for who he was. And here's the thing, when you see Jesus for who he is, what do you do? You worship him. That's the result of revelation of Jesus is worship. That's the response is worship. So they fell down before him and they offered him gifts. The wise men did not come to Jesus for what they could get. They came to Jesus for what they could give. And as I thought about that statement, all that they did, all the travel, all the time, all the 
energy, the financial commitment, whatever it was. I mean, this is probably a months-long ordeal that they're, they're, that they're involved in. And that they came to Jesus not for what they could get from him, but only to give to him. I just started running through the Gospels, and it struck me that that is a pretty rare occurrence in the Gospels, in the life of Jesus. Because throughout the life of Jesus and throughout the Gospels, there are many stories of people coming to Jesus to get something. And that's not always a bad thing. I mean, it's not seen as a negative, right? Like, think about the lady with the issue of blood, and she's, if I could just press through, if I could just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. So she was going to him to receive healing. That's not a bad thing, right? Think about all the people that would crowd around to hear his teaching. They want to hear the word of God. Not a bad thing, but they're there to get fed. Think about all the, th- uh, the crowds of people that would throng him to get healed of sicknesses, delivered from demons, blind, you know, blind Bartimaeus, gee, crying out to Jesus, Jesus, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. You know, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Rabbi, that I might see, receive your sight, right? So he, they, the, again, I don't want to say that's a bad thing because God wants us to come to him for those things. Because Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the deliverer. Oh, but how rare it is when you see a story of a person that just came to Jesus in order to give something and they weren't looking for something in return. That is worship. That is worship. That is the heart of worship. I can think of another example in the Gospels. Again, it's rare, but you can, if you look through, you can think, what about Mary of Bethany when, they are, when, they're, when, they're, when Jesus... Now, it's so interesting that here at the beginning of his life, the, 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 the wise men come to do this, and then right as a prophetic act before his death, Mary of Bethany pours the oil to prepare him for burial. A prophetic act... When she takes the oil that was worth a year's wages, a year's wages, and broke it and poured it out onto Jesus. And everybody gets upset about this. And everyone's like, why? You know what they said? Why this waste? Worship looks like waste to people who don't have a revelation of Jesus. It looks like waste. Why, why spend this time? Why spend this energy? Oh, you know, we, there's so many other things you could have done with that. A year's worth of wages poured out. Radical acts of devotion. They disturb the complacent. They cause discomfort to those that are asleep or complacent or compromised. But when you have a revelation of Jesus and who he is, it causes the response of worship. See, God God specifically says he's looking for something, worshipers. It says in John 4, right? Jesus talking to the woman at the well. And he said, he said that God, the Father, is seeking for worshipers, those who will worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth, that means in, in uh, the truth of who he is, with 
It also means I believe in sincerity, in purity, true worship, in spirit, inspired by the Spirit of God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, because God is spirit, he said. So God is looking for worshipers. And these wise men, who we know hardly anything about, is one of the incredible examples in the New Testament of true worshipers. They recognized him as a king. It's like a prophetic act. It's almost as if they could see what we see now. Like now, if you, if you read the book of Revelation, I'm not going to preach long on this because I think Chad's going to do this in a couple weeks. Chad's going to be preaching more about worship. And I think he's going to talk about Revelation and who Jesus is today on the throne. And, but if you read Revelation 4, what did they do? It says that the elders that are surrounded, it says they fall down before him and they cast their crowns. And it's almost as if these wise men prophetically ahead of time were doing that. They fell down before him. They were casting their gifts before him. How we see Jesus determines how we respond to him. How we understand him, how we know him, how we have revelation of him. There's something that changes when we take our eyes off of ourselves. Did you know that? There's something that changes when we take our eyes off of ourselves. Because true worship is not self-focused. Self-focus never brings about good fruit in the long run. But it's, it's the natural human condition. It's the, the, the natural human condition is selfishness. Any parents in the room? Right? One of the lessons... One of the way, here's how I describe it to my son. I, I, started, I started saying this years ago. Our son's 10, a daughter who's almost eight, daughter who's two. Incredible, love our kids, great kids. Um, but like all of us, we would have it. We, apart from the grace of God, we would be just full of ourselves. That's the natural human condition. And when, when children are born, that's, that's their natural state. They're, they're they, are consumers. And when they're infants, that's all they know. That's all they can do, right? And that's okay. But maturity is selflessness. And so our, our son, one of the, one of the statements I, I would teach him, and I'd say, well, I would say, you know, son, you're not the only person on the planet. That was my, that was my, that was my way of and he was like, oh, dad, I know, of course I'm not. And I, but that was, that was my way of trying to just Hey, like, there's other people involved here, right? There's, it's not just about what you want or what's happening for you, but you're, right? There's, there's, we live in a, you're not the only person on the planet, right? But sometimes we worship like we're the only one on the planet. Sometimes we live like we're the only one. Sometimes we, we live and we think it's all supposed to be about us, right? What about our, in our worship, 
I said this um, a couple weekends ago when we had the event here, the Jeremiah Johnson event um, on Friday night, just kind of this phrase, and it's, it, it wasn't brand new to me, but I felt the Lord quickening it to me, uh, that I believe God wants to restore worship to our worship. God wants to restore worship to our understanding of what worship is. Because true worship has to do, the word worship has to do with the word worth. So worship, you worship what is worthy. So worship has to do with God's worth, that Jesus is worthy. And that's, again, when you look at Revelation, that's what they're doing. That's what they're saying. They're saying worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the one who was and is and is to come to receive honor and riches and blessing, right? So a revelation of the worth of Jesus is what draws us into true worship. But true worship is costly, not casual. True worship is costly, not casual. These three wise men could not take a casual approach. This was not a casual journey. This was not a, ah, if I feel like it, I'll go down the road and, you know, put my time in, right? At church or just, you know, check it off my list. This was not casual. This was costly. Because true worship is not just about when we gather together for a meeting, True worship is a lifestyle of devotion to God. That's what true worship is. It's a lifestyle of devotion to God, obedience to him, surrender to him, following him. And then part of that is when we express worship, you know, through song, through dance, through shouts, through raising our hands. Those are all expressions of worship that we see throughout the Bible that are awesome. But God wants us to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth, in sincerity. And when Jesus confronted the Pharisees of his time, he said, you honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me. So it's possible to go through emotions that look like worship, but not actually be worshiping. It's possible to sing a song, but not be worshiping. It's possible to lift your hands, but not be worshiping. It's possible to dance and shout, but not be worshiping. Because God is looking for true worship in spirit and truth. And he's looking for sincerity of heart. Now, I'm not saying any of that to say don't do those things. We love those things. Those are all part of, those are all expressions that we see. Again, read the Psalms. You hear the expressions of worship. Now, I didn't come from a church background where it was expressive in worship. Anybody can relate to that? Anybody not come from a church background that was very expressive in worship? A lot of you, right? Man, I remember the first time I was at a, I guess you'd call, quote, charismatic, you know, type of a worship service. Jason Upton. I went to, so I, I went to Johns Hopkins University and they, a couple different churches and ministries brought Jason Upton in to do a worship night at Johns Hopkins. That was cool. And this was, well, 17 years ago probably. So I'm not sure how known he was at the time or not, but, um, but man, I remember being in there being like, what in the world? Like just, <laughs> I had never seen people you know, raising their hands up and, you know, dancing and singing. And it, it, it made me a little uncomfortable. 
but you read the Bible and you see it in there. And so we, you know, we adjust to, to the scripture. But that's not all about what worship is, though, right? As much as we love those expressions and value those expressions, and there's so much God can do in the midst of that, but it must come from a sincere heart of devotion to God. See, true worship is costly, just like Mary's oil. It was costly, a sacrifice of praise, right? And that's what lifts up a fragrance to the throne of God. The prayer of the saints, the intercession of the saints, the worship of the saints on earth, when it's costly. Because when it's based on a revelation of who God is, then it's not based on how I'm doing. Then it's not based on if I know that song or like that song, or it's not based on how my week was that week, or it's not based on what's in my bank account or not in my bank account, or it's not based on how my job is going or how my health is going, or you name it, all the different things that are real things. And God cares about those things, but when it comes to worship, it's not about any of that. It's about Worshiping him because of who he is. And he is just as worthy of worship on the best day of your life as on the worst day of your life. And see, all these messages go together. Again, I didn't plan this as a series, but I think I said last week, Paul had an eternal perspective. That's why he could worship after being flogged. That's why Paul and Silas are getting beaten and flogged after serving God for preaching the gospel. So here's what a self-focused, entitled person would say. God, how could you allow that to happen to me? Here I am serving you. Here I am preaching the gospel. Here I am, and then you allow me to be beaten. That was not the apostle's mindset at all. Now, could that be a temptation for any of us? Sure. I'm sure we could have that temptation we got to work that stuff out of us. Because when the apostles got flogged, they rejoiced that they were worthy to participate in suffering for the name of Jesus. Now, what kind of a mindset is that compared to what we might be used to? What we might think? See, worship is the opposite of entitlement and Thanksgiving is the opposite of entitlement and selfishness. And I'm not saying we're supposed to have some mindset of like hating ourselves and talking bad, always just, I'm, that, that's, see, that's just another way of focusing on yourself. When you're always, you know, beating, oh, I'm so terrible. And I did, da, 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 da. You know, some people just like to live and wallow in condemnation. Um, and it's, you know, basically just allows them to stay focused on themselves, but it sounds religious. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about, always pushing yourself down because you think somehow in some twisted way that makes God, you know, get glory. I'm not talking about some weird religious version of that. But true worship is not about me or you. I love, I shared this before. I always get a good chuckle uh, with this meme. I saw a meme and I shared it last year on Facebook and it got like thousands of shares uh, it was a Francis Chan quote, and um, it said, like, random churchgoer, I didn't like worship today. 
Francis Chan, that's okay, we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> it, just, it just pokes fun at some of our mindsets that we can have, right? You know, oh, you know, that song or this song or this or that, okay? Um, but so often we focus on what we get out of it, right? We focus on, you know, what did I get out of that? Here's the beautiful thing, though. See, God wants to give. God's a giver. God is a giver. You know, we draw near to him. He wants to draw near to us. So he wants to heal, right? He wants to speak. He wants, so it's not that God doesn't want those types of things to happen, but that's not the goal of worship. That's a byproduct of worship. Now, you've heard me say this before, maybe, if you're around, I guess it's been a couple years since I talked about this, but even the focus of our songs, have you ever paid attention to the lyrics of worship songs? Do a study on this. this next time you just put on Christian radio, pay attention to who is the subject of the songs. What is the song about? Who is the song about? Do you know how many songs, quote unquote worship songs, are actually not about God or for God or focused on God? Do you know how many songs, and some of these are even good songs, like they're not like necessarily like off biblically, they might be true, accurate songs. But the lyrics, when you actually think about what is being sung, It's actually about yourself. Have you ever thought about that? Some people, people, I see some people nod. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's easy just to go. I remember the first time I had this insight. This is way back. I was in college. I was newly just on fire for God, walking with the Lord. And I was at a church. And I remember this, um, I can't remember what church I was at, but I was at a church and they were singing this, Old 90s worship song, I think, or 2000, um, probably like a Michael W. Smith old classic song. Um, What's the name of it? Prince of Peace, I Will Worship, I Will Worship. You guys know that song? With all of my heart. Is that the song? Yeah, and then there's the chorus, and there's two parts, the guy's part and the girl's part. You guys remember that? Right? And uh, the guy's part is like, I will sing to and worship the... I will, I will, I will. I will. I will do this. You're singing about yourself, right? And nothing about what you're saying is wrong in that. Just please, this could be like, I don't want to like unnecessarily step on people's toes because I'm not like trying to make a big thing about this. But the girl's part, I love the girl's part. Let me tell you a little secret. I would sing the girl's part. Because I remember, I remember being at church and they were singing this song and the girl's part is like, you are king of kings, you are Lord of lords, you are mighty God, you are alpha. Um, I mean, just singing about who, oh. I'm like, that is always true. That is always true, no matter what else, no matter what's going on, no matter what I feel like, no matter what my day was like, that is always true. There is a, I, feel the anointing of God just on just singing those words. 
See, when you just focus on him, it is amazing. It's one of the reasons why I love hymns. That's why probably why I was a wreck in our worship time today. I was just, I was a wreck. I was just weeping under the presence of God just because we're just singing about him. Even, even the old Christmas hymns, right? Now, I, I fully believe, I'm not saying we should only like sing songs that are 100% only one way. I think there's room for a variety of types of songs. Even, you know, you read the Psalms and you see kind of a combination. You see sometimes where David is working through something and he's wrestling through and, you know, talking, you know, he's, and, and, and that's okay, but he always ends up back focused on God. You notice that? He always gets through and then ends up back, back on, 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 on who God is. And so I, I believe there's room for a variety of types of songs. I'm just saying maybe we need to get back into a God-focused worship. Because let me fill you in on something. They're not singing about themselves in heaven. They're way too close to the throne of God to be singing about themselves. What are they singing in heaven right now? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. You are worthy. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive glory and honor and riches and strength. That's what they're doing in heaven. So maybe, you know, we want on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe we should worship like they worship in heaven. And instead of pursuing only the things God does, we pursue him for who he is. We worship him for who he is. And we let God be God. And we let God move in our midst. And we let God, yes, again, I love the fact that Jesus heals people. I love the fact that Jesus delivers people. I love the fact that God wants to provide all those things, right? But what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek first Jesus said one thing is needed. Everything else flows from that one thing. So I just, I, I fully believe that there is a reformation coming to the worship arena, the worship movements. Where God's not looking for performers. God's not looking for polish. He's looking for hearts like David. He's looking for hearts like Mary. He's looking for hearts like these wise men that are on a pursuit with one goal, to worship the king because they see him for who he is. Do you know what makes heaven heaven? The presence of Jesus. See, here's what I have found. Everybody wants heaven, but very few people want Jesus. Everybody wants heaven, but the reason why people want heaven is because it's the alternative to hell. Who, who, but the fact of the matter is, 
Most people aren't actually interested in heaven. They're only interested in not going to hell. But what makes heaven heaven is Jesus. We need to, we need to fall in love with Jesus. We need to come to a place of adoring Jesus, of devotion to Jesus. One of my favorite promises in the Bible is in the book of Revelation where it says, they will see his face. They will see his face. They will see his face. That only is a powerful promise if we are seeking his face. If we are those who are seeking his face, that we spend our lives pursuing him, seeking him. And there's this promise, they will see his face. He is the goal. He is the prize. He is the reward. God is the reward. Am I speaking to anybody in the room here? Come on. I want to provoke us into this a lifestyle of, of, of wholehearted devotion to God, of pursuing him, a lifestyle of worship. There's some adjustments I believe God wants to make in this time of recalibrating. Just, just, sometimes it's just little adjustments that make a big difference. Adjustments in how we spend our time. Adjustments in our attitudes, in our heart postures. Where we come back to that place where Jesus truly is the center and the focus and the goal. So I want us to, um, I said I was going to preach shorter today. Wasn't, I wasn't planning on saying most of what I said was just a flow. So um, let's stand to our feet. We're, gonna, we're actually going to go into a time of just adoration of God, of worship of Jesus, of um, Let me just pray for a minute and just let's just get our hearts tuned in. Laura, you, you can come up. Laura's going to help, help me. I need help. <clears throat> Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> Lord, let the Spirit of God move through this place, God, to give us a revelation of Jesus. God, to convict us where we need convicting. God, to cleanse us, to adjust us where we need to be adjusted. God, to... Um, Deliver us from living in a self-focused way, God. God, make us to be true worshipers who worship you in spirit and in truth, God. Lord, let us live in a way that you are the prize. You yourself, God, are the goal. You yourself are the prize. Holy Spirit, would you fill our hearts, even right now, as we take time just to sing, to worship, to adore you, God? Would you, would you just fill our praises with your glory? Would you fill our praises with your spirit? Would you manifest your glory? Would you draw us to the throne of God, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth, God, to fall before you, God, to truly know you? We just give you this time, God. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Now, let's just begin to... Um, 
just begin to worship him. I'm going to get my guitar and we're going to just begin to, I'm going to begin to strum and we're going to begin to sing, but just begin to worship him right now in your own words. right now. Jesus, we adore you. We honor you, Jesus. You're the King of kings. You're the Lord of lords, worthy of our praise and worship. Be lifted. 
sing it again right now. Here we go. No matter what's going on, Lord, in my life, you're worthy of praise, Jesus. You're always worthy of worship, Jesus. God, move in our hearts, Lord, to be worshipers, God.
we're just going to flow. We're just going to free flow. Just If you can pick up choruses, just sing out. If not, just sing out in your own words. We're just going to flow, worshiping Him in spirit and truth tonight. again. Hallelujah.
of our praise. Sing be high, be high and lifted up, be high and lifted up, be high and lifted up, Jesus, it's you.
sing Jesus. Jesus, Lamb of God. express your heart to God. Just sing out worship. Speak your praise. Sing your praise. Thank you, Jesus. 
Let's just sing that through several times. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name. Glorify your name in all the earth. Come on, let's sing it again. Glorify your name. strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter, is a shelter like no other. Your name. Let the nation sing it. The nation sing it loud. Nothing has the power to save. Let's sing it again. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing louder. Nothing has the power to save but your
Just worship him. We praise you. Honor to you, Jesus. Honor to you, Jesus. Glory to you, Jesus. Just worship in your own way. Just sing out to the Lord. 
you can sing, you can praise, you can thank, you can wait silently, you can kneel. Let's just exalt him right now. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you, God. We honor you, Jesus. Worthy is your name. Holy 
Jesus. Holy, holy, holy. Holy are you, Lord Jesus. Holy are you, God. Holy, holy. Praise your name, Jesus. Majesty. Hallelujah. Just just give him some praise. Thank you, God. John 4, 23. The hour is coming and now is. Now is. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Just lift up your hands. I just want to pray a prayer that of just, um, just God, that, that, that the Holy Spirit would just impart this, this revelation to us and just cause this house to be a house of prayer, but also a house of worship. A house of worship, a house of praise, a house of God's glory. It's his house. So Father, in the name of Jesus, God, let your Holy Spirit come afresh upon your people. God, that you would make us to be worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. God, we want our lives to be worship. Lord, I just say afresh, Lord, I dedicate my life, God, to be a lifestyle of worship. Would you just make that prayer right now? Just, just, just begin to pray to the Lord. Just begin to dedicate yourself to, be a, to live a life of worship. God, I dedicate my life, Lord, to live a life of worship, of devotion to you, God. 
God, I want my actions to be worshiped to you. I want my heart and my attitude to be worshiped to you, God. Lord, I want to be a fragrance that rises up to the throne of God. Father, I want to worship you in spirit and truth. God, as we gather together as a church family, we want to be worshipers, God, who worship you in spirit and truth. Father, I pray right now that you would break off every hindrance. Break off every shackle, Lord. Break off every hindrance and every chain, every bondage that would keep us from worshiping you in spirit and truth. There's a grace being released just to break off hindrances, to break off barriers. That was a word that came, and I believe the Lord wants to impart that, just a grace to worship him anew. God, give us that revelation that the wise men had, Father. God, give us that revelation that Mary of Bethany had, God. Lord, give us that heart that is given to you because we see you as you are. And we know that you are worthy. So I thank you, God, that as we go from this place, we don't stop worshiping. But that we worship you, God, in our homes. We worship you in how we work, God. We worship you in our relationships and our attitudes and our commitments, God. We, we worship you, God. So, Lord, we just yield ourselves to be vessels that are sanctified to you, God, dedicated to you for your purposes, God, that we seek your face, God. You are our desire. You are the treasure that we seek, Jesus. Just take one minute and let's just be quiet and still in the Lord's presence before we finish. God, we just sit at your feet and wait upon you and all of you. God, we say holy, 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 holy. God, we just say holy, 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 Lord. Lord God Almighty, restore the reverence for you, God. Holy, holy, holy. Restore the awe for who you are, God. Restore the majesty, God. Holy, holy, holy. We honor you, God. We thank you. We just continue, Lord, to walk in this posture of worship just commit this week to you, God, and we commit our hearts to you, our lives to you, our families to you, our future, Lord. You are worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God is good. For more information about Threshold Church, visit the website at threshold-church.com.